right, welcome to the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. Uh, I'm Lance Wakefield, your host, and I'm here today with Oscar Hidalgo. Oscar's been working with me for, it's almost exactly three years right now, actually, hasn't yep. it been? Yeah, it's around May, I think. Yeah, I think May, May. It was May 2020 that we started working together. So um, uh, Oscar has been like uh, my right-hand man, my business partner, basically, through all this, through a lot of stuff we've done. We started... Um, when I hired him, we were working in my garage. So uh, we've come a long way since then. This is our third office after. Well, if you include the garage, this is our fourth office since then. Um, we've got a huge team now. We've got millions of dollars of real estate. And um, when he started, we had nothing. Not much. Not in your house. Yep. We were, it was uh, the beginnings. So uh, come a long way, done a lot of different stuff, and I want to talk through it with you. So let's just... Um, Let's start with, well, so first of all, um, just tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you got into this business. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for the invitation. Mm -hmm. It's a long walk from my office next door. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so my name is Oscar. I'm from Venezuela. I'm 28 years old. I came to the U.S. about six years ago, and I've been just hustling ever since. I've been involved in multiple businesses uh, like car dealerships and I work in the restaurant industry for quite a while. And um, actually the way I got into real estate was kind of weird. Like it, it, it was pretty random. I just found your your ad for a sales agent randomly on Craigslist and uh, I just supply and, and it, it, we kind of landed here from there. So it's, it's been a fun ride, but definitely unexpected. I, I did not mean to be in real estate and now I do not see my life without real estate. So it's fun. awesome. Well, good. Well, it's actually really funny how, how we hired Oscar. So we put up a, we had been putting up jobs for a sales agent to help us sell our financing homes. And we wanted somebody who was um, Hispanic, but then also spoke English. And uh, because we were selling homes primarily to Hispanic seller financed, and we needed somebody to kind of be in charge of that process. So we interviewed Oscar and I really liked him, but he didn't feel like, like a sales guy. Like we wanted yeah. somebody who was a little bit more used car salesman vibes. Yeah, I remember. It was it was so random. At, at the time, I just left my job at the marketing, as a marketing director for a car dealership. And I was doing like deliveries in between just to get by until I find something else. And then I remember applying for the job. We met, talk about my story and everything and everything I've done and all that stuff. And you guys were looking for a sales agent. And I kind of already, like, I knew that I wasn't a sales agent, but I was kind of like, well, I just, like, I need to get in and then kind of, like, prove myself from there and figure out something else out. So it kind of ended up working out because then you you guys hire somebody else. And I remember I was, you called me, like, a month after or, I don't know, 20 days after or something yeah. like that. It was, it was like, a little while. And I was about to accept another job in another car dealership. Uh -huh. And, that like, I got another interview, and, and I told the guy, like, just give me till tomorrow. I have, I have this weird feeling. And then the next day you reach out to like do the marketing instead. And I was like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a better, yeah. Yeah, and then, a better um, fit. So when, when we, <laughs> it was hilarious when we interviewed him. So my house in 2019 got destroyed by a tornado. And so when he came for the job interview, uh, there was a part of my house that was still up, but most of it was gone. My front yard was covered in like rubble. <laughs> Basically, and just garbage. And he came, um, and, and like I could tell, I saw him get out of his car and like look around, like there's no way I'm in the right place. <laughs> I mean, I show up an ad on Craigslist. I show up on this address, and it's just like a house under construction. 
No, like I'm definitely getting kidnapped here. Yeah. Like I made it all the way here just to like die in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. So uh, there was this random girl coming out of the interview and she was like, oh yeah, it's in the back. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm walking through like construction rumble and all that stuff and getting to the garage. And then I saw you guys had a little setup, but I, I was definitely, I thought I was getting killed for sure. Yeah, it was pretty sketchy. So, um, and you'd, uh, at that time you'd been in America for like, Three years or so, right? Yeah. Okay. So to explain like how you came to America and kind of what happened and why you decided to leave Venezuela. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, I feel like there's a lot of people in America who don't know the state of Venezuela. Yeah. So Venezuela, unfortunately, it's a beautiful country, but it's in a very bad political situation. The government has taken everything from the people and the economy went down to like nothing. Uh, so a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities, like everything went away. And then, um, so I went to law school. I graduated in 2016 as a lawyer. And then right around that time, there was like a civil war going between the people and the government. Um, so a group of lawyers and myself started doing like talks to like try to help with our minds, you know, like we're not going to go fighting in the street, but we're lawyers. Like we know the like constitution and the rights. So we started doing little talks to like teach people what we're fighting for, what are our rights, like all that stuff. So then like if the police stop you, this is what you do and all that stuff. This is these uh, are people who are like political activists, basically. Basically. They're, so it's like it was actually all like like college students fighting the government. Uh, so so these are like protests in the street or what were yeah, they? Yeah, they were like blocking the streets, they were like tires and like burning stuff just to like block the streets so nobody will go to work to try to make the whole country like stop. Uh, cause like nobody could take it anymore. Yeah. And so, and the government will send like tanks and like the whole army after them. And this is like Crazy. young people, like, I don't know, like anywhere from like 16 year old to like 25, 30. And like, they're out there throwing rocks at these tanks. Uh, Dude, that takes some balls to throw a rock <laughs> at a tank. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, uh, we're there like doing these little talks in parks and in public places just to like try to gather this young people and like give them a reason to fight for and then that started getting the attention of some people in the government so then started receiving random threats and uh we kind of like try to stay away from it as much as possible but then there was a big incident that happened in like one of like the big like law buildings like a public um courthouse yeah like a courthouse so uh they kind of like Put a bunch of policemen outside and they try to like take a bunch of us out and like kidnap us pretty much and like take us right to jail and uh so then so how did you not get caught well so like there was like some out like like back entrances to the place so then a group of people kind of like stop everybody and like the, there was like a big rural and then everybody like left through the back and then like roaches with light yeah so we got <laughs> a bunch scattered. of cars and like left uh, so then after that, then it was like threats and text messages and emails and stuff like that. And like, like they knew up. who you were yeah, and they were coming for you. Exactly. So, Crazy. and obviously we knew that it was directly involved with the government. So, uh, we kind of had to like emergency leave the country. So how did you feel during that time? No, it was terrible. It was like terrifying. Like, you don't know, like you start like looking outside your window, like are they Dude, outside my house? Paranoid. Like, yeah. Like you're paranoid. Like you hear a noise and you're like, oh, they're in my house now. So were you scared like your phone was tapped and like, yeah, yeah, no, pretty much every, well, in Venezuela, obviously they don't have as much technology as here. So okay. like, it's, it's unlikely that there will be like a CIA thing tapping into phones and, and everything, but they definitely knew who we were and where we live and all that stuff. So Oof. it's easy to like 
get us right. So my mom borrowed some money from a friend of hers. It was like, I don't know, $1,200 to buy a plane ticket. I had a friend that was already living here. So she was like, yeah, you can stay with us for a minute until you get all your stuff together. So I kind of like took that money, buy the plane ticket. I had like $200 in my pocket and came here. How, like, how much is $1,200 American in Venezuelan money at that time? Oh, at the time it was like, I don't know. Like a fortune? Ten, yeah, it was like 10 times minimum wage or maybe more. I don't know. It was Oof. like, it was bad. Like, so you like basically went into what would be considered like pretty massive debt yeah. to save your life and get out. Exactly. So, yeah, and I always kind of like tell the story, like I came to the U.S. with minus $1,500. Cause yeah. like I had, I had to pay that debt right away because my mom got it. Um, so yeah, I got here. I started waiting tables and got like three jobs at the same time. I started like helping or whatever I can just hustling. to make money hustling. Hustling. And then, yeah, I was able to pay that back in like a month. And then from there, just like random, like restaurant jobs and like everything else that I could find to like keep growing. So, and to, to like, and you were able to, and you, you got uh, political asylum, right? When you came yeah. in? Yeah, so because of the whole situation and how everything happened, then I, I applied to asylum right away, which, like, I'm one of the lucky people that got, like, the response right away from the government because they're pretty backed out from, from all the cases that people are sending. So I got my response right away, and then they sent me for an interview. Like, 30 days later, I went to Houston. I told the case to the officials and everything, and then about 30 days later, they sent me my approval. That's awesome. So, um, so sort of sometimes the process in America works. Yes, sometimes. Like you are, you are the case in point. There's probably not many of you out there, <laughs> but it worked. Yeah, no, but it ended up working out like pretty fast for me. And then, um, yeah, from there, so I'm technically under still under like political asylum from the U.S. government. That's awesome. Yep. I'm well. I'm glad they let you in. I'm glad you're here. Yes, and you. then, um, so after that. You did these other jobs. We linked up. You started doing marketing for us. And I remember you had been working for us for, I don't know, two, maybe three weeks. And you're like, all right, we got to change everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like the thing is that you guys were pretty busy with the house, right? Like like you and Crystal were like working on building, rebuilding the house after the tornado. So then I just wanted to like help as much as I could. Like I remember you told me when you first hired me, it was like, well, you can come part time Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I was there like every day, the first one to get there and the last one to leave just to like, I know there's more to do than this, yeah. just this little marketing video. So uh, then I started helping you guys with operations and like I look at the CRM and like, hey, there's a lot of room for improvement in all these different things. So then I kind of like, it wasn't like an actual role of like, hey, you're the operations guy now. It's more like whatever needs to be done, I'll do it just so we yeah. can keep growing. And so from there, I think we stayed in the, in the garage until through through the summer. I remember some point during the summer we ended up moving into the first office and started getting things more established. And this time I had a business partner and we were really focused on seller financing, which isn't I mean, we don't we haven't seller financed a deal in like a year now. Yeah. Probably. It's yeah, been no. a minute. So uh and that's all we were doing at the time. I remember one time we had when we were in the garage, we had this super, super nice old Hispanic guy come in um and with his daughter who spoke english he didn't speak a word of english and he brought i mean it was either 
it was somewhere between fifteen and twenty five thousand dollars cash. Yeah. And we we're like counting out on the garage floor and stuff. And yeah. I think like a down payment for a house. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy, crazy times. We got we got uh, some reprimands from the attorneys for that. They're like, don't don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't take do that cash. anymore. Make them bring a cashier's check. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah but but yeah, I mean, we that ended up working out pretty well. We still put a lot of good people in houses yeah. that they couldn't afford otherwise, and. We ended up with like 25 to 30 seller finance deals. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking about it the other day. I'm like, man, those people, every single one of them probably love us right now because they bought those homes mostly in 2020 Mm -hmm. and think about the amount of appreciation they've seen since then. And it was a, it was, um, it was a sacrifice for them to make those down payments and things. And, uh, but the monthly payments are about the same as rent and now they've got Probably most of them have six figures of equity or yeah, very close and at, to it. At the time for us to be secure, our like the interest rate was a little higher than the normal one, but but now they're kind of like the same. Yeah. So we haven't raised the interest rates at all. So yeah, they're in a good position. Yeah, to it's worked out really well. So since then, um, we've got into we do wholesaling, we do marketing for deals, we do marketing to sell deals, we do all sorts of stuff. So what's your role today now in the company? Yeah. So now. Um, when the company grows, you need to start putting people in the right places and actually think about titles and stuff like that. So now, technically senior vice president of operations, um, and I pretty much that means that I handle a bit of everything. I just make sure that all the departments flow between each other. And I, I always think about like a good company is composed of people, systems, and technology. Mm-hmm. So my role is making sure that I keep improving all those three. So making sure that my people have all the tools that they need, that the systems are created for them to be successful, and that we are thinking about whatever technology can help them uh, do their job even better. Yeah, so right now I think we've got, got, I guess, five departments fully operating and a sixth department that we're kind of bringing online. So we've got our construction department, we have our acquisitions department, um, our long-term rental department, our short-term rental department, and there's another one. And uh, the brokerage that the we're brokerage, setting up? The brokerage is almost done. And so that's we're, fifth wor- one. we're working on that um, and the, land entitlement and the commercial deals. Yeah, the last the last piece is the um, closed-end funds, basically. Yeah. So we're working on getting those out so that we can offer people, you know, a way to invest in real estate. And we've... Oscar's a big part of that. He helps with getting everything together so that we can um, provide financials to everyone, making sure everything's tight. And uh, aren't we? We're even getting our financials audited right now so that yeah. people can. So we're getting our financials audited. We have a full finance department as well. So we're making sure that everything, like all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted. Um, we we have a whole legal team behind us as well to like structure everything correctly. And and the reason we're structuring all these different departments is to make sure that. We keep every, like, we grow all the verticals at the same time and we control as much of the process as possible to make sure that when we do provide the option for investors to come in, it's actually like it's safe enough because we control the whole process. So you said you became an attorney in 2016. Yes. So how did you learn how to do all this stuff? That's a great question. Uh, again, I think it comes from that hustle mentality. Like, I just been a guy that, I feel like a good thing that law school gave me, even though I'm not really using my law degree here, a good thing that it gave me is like like critical thinking, like logical thinking. So like like my brain is always thinking, okay, like if this and that, like if like everything has a reason and then everything should have a process and 
and understanding the steps that have to happen for everything. Plus, combine that with like when I was in the restaurant industry, I always got promoted to manager pretty quick. So uh, I managed like a few big restaurants that have pretty good systems. Um, some of the dealerships that I work, they have pretty good systems as well. So I just been like kind of like absorbing that throughout the years and like trying to get myself involved in everything. Uh, so it's just gotten to the point where like I just see something and I know like, oh, well, there should be a process to fix this. Yeah, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, you can only grow as big as your processes can handle yeah. because the idea that you're going to find these rock star people that can operate without processes, it's a very narrow viewpoint. And so you've been instrumental in creating the processes that are the foundation of the company. Like I'm really good at getting deals um, and negotiating stuff and figuring out how to finance stuff. But underneath that, the processes you've put in place have supported the ability to do that. So we've, I feel like we've made a really good team as far yeah, as that I, goes. I, I think that's what we have been working so good together for all these years is the, the you know, Wigman Rocket Fuel mm -hmm. uh, book explains that very well like the visionary integrator relationship it it's has worked out pretty well for us and yep. uh, i let you go and get deals and grow the company and have crazy ideas and then i just like make sure that i can condense them and make them happen yep and it's worked out pretty well we've gotten i mean we've taken the company to the very edge a couple times where we're like oh well, we're gonna be a business tomorrow <laughs> but we, it's always come back together and we've held it together yep uh, it's been a fun ride for sure um so and then you've started you've done some real estate investing of your own right yeah, so actually last year I bought a deal from the company to do uh, a fix and flip on my own. Uh, my wife likes designing homes and making them cute, so then we were like, well, let's try one out. Uh, we did it with another partner as well, and we're about we're under contract right now to close on like two weeks. We're closing the sale. Exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I feel like that uh, that line right there is uh, most real first deal that's their mantra at the end can't yeah, wait for I this think, to be over <laughs> i think like no matter how involved like i'm involved in a in a multi-million dollar real estate company handling everything and i obviously because of that i know every part of the process uh but doing it on your own is always a different it's a different beast right totally like different. there's especially when you're doing it like trying to manage a big company and then doing this it's like on, on, the, side, on the side and I, I get home and i need to be replying to contractors and like sending payments and stuff like that so it's definitely not for everybody unless you want to dedicate a lot of time and effort and money into it, mm -hmm. uh, which is where like some more passive types of investment come in place. And I feel like that that's probably going to be my next route. Like, I don't think I'm going to do a lot of investment on my own anymore uh, and just like put my funds into uh, some of the commercial deals that we are doing. And stuff yeah. Like that. Yeah. There's I mean, I've done some deals where I've put money into like syndications and uh, been paid out really nicely on them. Yeah. And for for investors who have a full-time job, but you want to invest in real estate, I feel like that's one of the best ways. And it often gets overlooked. Like the idea that you're going to fix and flip a home with your with your wife or something, it, it can work well. I mean, it worked out for me. Yeah. But it, it typically, I didn't have a full-time job. Yeah. I literally like burned the boats. I had nothing. I was like, I got to make this work or we're not eating. And so it was full-time, all-in, full focus, nothing but make it work. When you've got that full-time job where especially if you enjoy what you're doing and you're good at it and it's a good pay, um, it, it, takes, it, takes, it would take a lot of guts to leave that. I didn't have 
that great of a job. Yeah, so, and it's, it's not even about leaving it. Like some people think that it's very easy to run both at the same time, but oof, like the, just so. the mental pressure of making sure that you keep everything together. Sometimes it's not worth the extra couple thousand dollars no. that you're gonna make on a flip. I mean, and in all honesty, for me to be able to perform at my peak from a work perspective, yeah. for any perspective, I need breaks from everything. Like I use a part of my brain for like relationships with my kids and wife. Yeah. I don't use that part of my brain nearly as much at work. Yeah. And so it gets kind of some breaks at work. And then I go home and activate that part. And then at work, I'm using the, like you said, the kind of logical, like deal hunting part of my brain. And then at home, that part gets a break because I'm, I'm not hunting anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm hanging I, out. I think like... That's important, I feel it's, like. It's all about like, the timelines in people's lives as well. Like there's a time to hustle and there's a time to have three jobs and to flip seven houses at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, then you go to your main job. Like there's people that are in that timeline in life. Like now I have my wife, I'm focusing on providing for her, for my mom and everything. So like I'm in a more stable place in life that I don't need to be doing all that at the same time. But it really depends. Yeah, I've been I actually. So speaking of your mom, she's been she's been working with us for a few years now and she's I've kind of been riding, not even shotgun, just kind of in the back seat, yeah. like listening to what's going on. And so she recently left, left Venezuela as well, right? Yeah, see, she was finally able to leave Venezuela as well. Um, and she moved to Spain. So she is actually in Madrid today. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Um, man, I'm going to be in Europe this summer. That's so nice. So nice. <laughs> so nice. Yeah, I'm trying, I'm, to, I'm trying to go. She's. Is she, you're trying to get her here, right? Well, not any. Well, we did send some. Uh, started a process to try to get her here, but she's not really counting on that, and the process is taking forever. So, we're thinking we might just let her roll, and if it happens, it happens. If yeah. it doesn't, we don't really care. I mean, uh, Spain's a pretty sweet place to live. Yeah, she's pretty chill there. So it's also way um, cheaper than here too. Yeah, so we're way thinking cheaper. about going there on um, to spend Christmas with her this year. Ooh, that sounds um, like a great plan. So that will be the goal, but but we'll see. I've been in um, like Spain and that area in the wintertime and it's kind of like being in Southern California in the yeah. wintertime. It's great weather. It's beautiful. And then it's way cheaper too. So nice. I yeah. think you'll really enjoy it. You should definitely go check it out. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's on the horizon? What do you see is what's next? What are you trying to accomplish here as we move forward? Like where do you see us being in a year? Yeah. So um, right now we're focusing like, like we talked about on all those verticals, right. To make sure that, we can provide every part of the investment process in-house and control it and ideally do it better than everybody else is doing it because we have the the advantage of using technology and, and Tom's input as well. Um, so, so right now my focus is making sure that all these verticals are operating almost at, like their own company and they're all profitable and successful and established uh, to then all of us at the leadership level put the focus into increasing our commercial deals. Mm -hmm. So I believe in, in a year, maybe less, we should, uh, we're going to start two or three commercial deals. Uh, and from there, we'll probably do a couple with our own capital just to make sure that the processes are set up as well there. Uh, but then we want to start raising capital from partners as well and, and then in being able to do more and faster. And What do you think? So a year from now, we're going to be, syndicating deals yeah. and like in your mind, what does that look like with investors? What, how much money do they have to invest? What does all that look like? Um, so it depends. So we'll probably in the beginning, we'll, we'll keep it short. Like we'll keep it to a close group of like friends and family again to like make sure that we're 
like polishing the systems and then we make sure that we're giving the returns that we're expecting to give people and like everything like that. Like we have all the processes together. Um, but then after that, then we can unlock it for the public. And at that point, we'll weigh on the recommendation from our attorneys, but we'll probably only work with like accredited investors. Uh, and there's going to be a minimum investment. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure what the amount will be, but uh, we definitely want to keep everything like by the book to 100%. to make sure we grow safely. No more Wild West. No more Cowboy. Wild West. Yes. <laughs> no more of that. So what do you think if you had to pick something like what's your secret your secret superpower, what are you best at? I think um, I'm pretty good at managing people. I I think I, what I, the way I focus here is is creating a good culture where everybody thinks that, or everybody believes that they can trust the leadership team and that our, my door is always open. So they walk into my office all the time and I'm able to like fix their problems or help them through problems. So uh, they know that I'm a guy that will go in there and do it myself if I have to. Uh, so that creates like, a leadership instead of instead of just a manager telling people what to do um so i think that's been working out pretty well and then the ability to like understand systems and just like see how things should work uh i think that has it's it, i don't know it's kind of weird sometimes i go to chick-fil-a and i'm just looking at their systems and the way that they use colors and stuff like that and i'm like these people are pretty smart like the way this happens and that happens so like yeah, my mind is impressive. constantly looking at how we can improve things so how, I mean, well, first of all, what I'm hearing you say is you lead from the front in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like if there's an issue from a, a marketing standpoint, you can step in and just fix it. Yeah. And so I feel like when, when leadership's able to do that, it creates tremendous respect from people who are in the positions because it's like, oh, like they're hiring me and trusting me to do this, but they don't need me. Yeah. Like they could do it. And when you can do stuff they can't, they also know you can do it better than them. Yeah. And I, and I think that comes when a lot of businesses hire probably earlier than they should. I feel like business owners should understand that they have to do every job until they cannot anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I were doing every single part of the company for so long that like I, like I can get into and do all the marketing myself if I have to. Yeah. I can get and call people and buy houses from them. Like, I'm not going to do it, but if I had, like, I know how to train people on it and I know how to show them the way to do it and everything. So, I don't know, for business owners, it's always good to keep in mind, like, you need to understand something very well before you outsource it. Totally, because you've got to build that process, essentially, through doing it, and then you show someone that process, put them in and have them run that piece of the whole. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't understand what that piece is, what they do, and then how to gauge if they're doing a good job at it. Yeah. What are you having them do? Yeah, and it's, a, it's a constant learning. Like right now, we're dealing with developers and building databases and like crazy stuff that I did not know six months ago. But like I get home and I'm like watching videos and learning more about it. And then I'm able to talk to them on their language and like, hey, this is this is what I need. And, and they're able to do it. So, I mean, one theme that I've kind of heard you saying throughout this is sounds like you're constantly learning. Now, t- tell me, what does that do for you, and, and how do you go about doing that typically? Yeah, so I think, like, I don't know, people and everybody obviously spends their time however they feel like. Um, I do spend a lot of time, like, gaming and playing music and stuff like that, but 
I feel like when you do like a time audit and like really look at what how you spend your time every day, there's a lot of opportunities for you to like keep like keep feeding learning into your life. So I don't know, I drive to the office and back, so that's like 30 minutes each way that I can play a podcast or I can play an audiobook and I can put it on 1.5 speed and learn a new book. Or yeah. uh, sometimes I get home and I, I spend some time with my wife, with the dogs, and then I have another 30 minutes to an hour left there. So like I watch some videos on like a new system that I'm trying to implement or whatever. So uh, it's about even, even what like, an executive job that takes a lot of my brain. Like when you think about the time that you have during the day, there's, there's a lot of times for you to fit learning. in. hundred percent. Yeah. I love, I do the same stuff, man. I love that. I think the idea that, that we learn and you get your education in school and then you're done is crazy, especially is in crazy. today's world. Like even like 2016 wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, but the technology from then to today so different yeah. like like um chat ggp wasn't even on the radar back then mm-hmm. for anybody um and you think about that being here now and yeah actually i know you are a big you're a big fan of chat oh, i'm a big fan of ai everybody so, knows it here yeah so. <laughs> so tell me tell me how you use that in the day-to-day and like how that has helped you and what you use it for and tell me about it yeah so it's very interesting because um there is the what they call big language models, which is uh, what OpenAI is working on building, and that's what they use to base ChatGPT on. So ChatGPT is actually pretty helpful on uh, text generation. So like whenever I'm writing a new policy or I'm writing an email for specific people or I'm writing an agenda for a meeting, like I just need to give it some specific information on how my company structure, and then it just spits out all the text that I need. I hate writing, so... Yeah, it's always coming like very helpful. But then other than that, I'm very interested in all the other tools that are coming out of the big language models. Uh, so there's like Compose.ai or Reclaim.ai. There's all these smaller AI tools that are using the core technology to then provide like even more value. So how are like so you just have a window with ChatGTP open on your desktop and you'll type At stuff in there or do you have plugins or? Yeah. What? So, for example, I'm using Compose.ai. Uh, it's built into my Gmail, so whenever I need to write a long email for an attorney or something for the leadership team, like a new policy that I'm putting in place or whatever, uh, it's like a chat GPT that lives on the email. So I just do a command, write an email about this, and then it just spits it out. That's legit. Um, and then chat GPT I use more for like meeting agendas or like documentation, like if I need to create a document for an employee to sign or something like that, like I can make it, I can tell it what language I needed to write. Like I needed to write in a legal language or a more casual language or all this stuff. So pretty much every every time I need text written for me, I'm using AI now. Like how much more efficient do you think that makes you? Oh, I'm probably saving at least like two hours a day. Dang. Uh, you compound is, that over over a week and then a month and a year. That's yeah, a lot. Yeah, of time. and that's even without counting. Again, there's other tools that like use AI to manage your calendar, uh, and there's all these kinds of stuff that are building on top of it. There, I remember there was something the other day where uh, we need a legal document. You had Chat GTP write it, send it to the attorney, and he's yeah. like, "It's perfect." Yeah, no, I, I actually I went to Chat. I was using actually GPT four because that one is way more uh developed for like legal writing so i wrote a legal document using it obviously i had to go in and like change a few bits but just using it doing my knowledge and then 
I sent it over to the attorney and he was like, yep, it's perfect. That's Nothing crazy. To so it's like replacing think, our legal costs. It's like, replacing our legal costs by a lot. Yeah. So it's I love pretty it. good. So all these different tools you're using to help you um, become more efficient. Are you in like, how do you see them integrating into the company as you go, as, as we progress? Yeah. So I, like I've been talking to Tom about possibly looking into build, building our own model. So like grabbing the, the big language model that OpenAI provides and then feeding it a bunch of real estate data for like real estate market values, like real estate leads and how communications happen and all that stuff to then be able to create like a proprietary model that we can use on our internal apps. Um, so like we could make scopes for construction just by telling it this is what the house needs and it will spit out a scope by line by line. That's um, awesome. Like we could add it to help with the sales team for communication with the sellers and like what's the best way to approach this conversation. Um, right now I'm using it for taking notes on every meeting that we have and then it, it spits out a summary of the meeting uh, for everybody to have. So I think like there's a lot of uncertainty of the way that AI is going to end up going, but um, it's definitely here. It's definitely happening. And like whatever company that's not thinking about AI is not going to be in business for the next 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's changing everything. I mean, if you look at that efficiency of, and this is just your guess of two hours a day, but yeah. if you become that much more efficient across your whole company, like let's say the whole company is using it like you yeah. and everyone in here got two hours more efficient a day. We got two hours back that we could put into other tasks. Yeah you're going to beat your competition who's not doing it. Yeah, the way the way that OpenAI describes it a lot is um, like it, it reduces the cost for intelligence. So then at that point, you're not like, you don't have to pay the 350000 a year for, for this crazy employee that happens to know this thing. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you can get a lower cost employee that can effectively do the same thing using AI as a co-pilot and work totally. together. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. I mean... If, if it can do the some of the legal legwork, obviously not all, but some of an attorney, yeah. I mean, everybody knows attorneys aren't cheap. Yeah. So it's like if you can replace some of that cost with with tech, you know, the companies that aren't starting to jump on this and figure out how to use it, especially as time goes on, because like you're saying, right now, we don't know where it's going. We don't know how much better it's going to get. But as it gets better and better, if that two hours turns into three or four, that's 50% of your work day. Yeah. Once it gets to four. So then and it allows you <laughs> and it allows humans to like focus on the important things, right? Yeah. Like like we can figure out how to get more deals. We can figure out how to structure the company better. We can figure out all these things because we have AI. We're not trying to freaking tasks. get our grammar right in the exactly. email so we don't look like <laughs> idiots when we're sending an email. Yep. Yep. I that for me, that's such a big waste of time is trying to write stuff like I can write, but it just takes time and energy and focus. And if I could take a 10 minute email and turn it into a 30 second email. Yeah. And you do that several times throughout the day, man, it just changes everything. Yep. Frees up so much, uh, so much time. Well, I love it. What's, um, personally, where, where do, what's on the agenda for you in the coming, coming years? Where, what do you want to do more with your personal side? You're saying, you know, you like the gaming, look at it, just travel. Yeah. I think like, I don't know, like, Wealth in general, uh, I look at it as more than just making more money and, uh, you know, just growing 
in in the company and all that stuff like obviously i want to grow this company as we as we can get it but that's just one element of everything else so like i spend a lot of time with my wife i spend a lot of time like trying new places new experiences so i travel a lot um we're going to colombia in a couple weeks uh hopefully going to europe at the end of the year so i'm focusing a lot of on building experiences um and then also giving back to all the different communities that have been part of my life so i, I actually every month i send a ton of money to venezuela to uh i have a couple contacts there that are like rescuing animals and rescuing dogs so like send them money every month and then my aunt actually has cancer in venezuela so i send her a bunch of money for her chemo every month so just like making sure that no matter how much i grow i know where i came from and totally. i keep that going so keeps me happy keeps me center and then it get like i try to always like i don't know the new i guess the new word for my for the rest of my life is balance like making sure that i have a bit of everything yeah not working uh three jobs and yes. going crazy because that's not balance yeah. but you're right there's times where that's what you got to do yep. you know and with where things are today we don't have to do that but if push came to shove i've been in that place too and I'd go back to it. Yep. If it came down to it, sometimes you got to be willing to step back into that hell, yeah. for lack of a better term. You yeah, just got to, like, if you're scared uh, of it, it's it's going to come find you. A big thing is like work-life balance. Everybody thinks that it's just like doing the nine to five and then going home. Like sometimes work needs a little more mm -hmm. and sometimes life needs a little more. Mm -hmm. So that's in my head, that's the real balance. Like 100%. Like understanding where your timeline actually is. Yep. There's time, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when when you've got a deadline at work or a big project that's make or break for the company, you focus on it. Um, you know, there's been some deals that have been that way for us where it's like, you know, we're out late, we're hustling, and we're making it happen. And I remember there's been days where we had the whole office pushing to get something closed, and every ounce of everyone's energy, and everyone worked late, and we got it done and through, and that kept the company alive. Yep. And so it's like those efforts do need to be made sometimes. Um, so the I. The idyllic nine to five and go home every day isn't always there, but your ability to judge when do you push here and pull back there, um, you know, success in business or whatever at the expense of your family, yep. it's not success. It's, not success. it's just money, I guess, which is comes and goes. Yep. So I love it. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you. you being here and, uh, Glad you're still here with us after these three years. A little bumpy sometimes, but <laughs> glad we made it through. Um, Oscar's basically my work wife, so I am very grateful for him. Yeah. Glad he's here. Uh, thanks for listening in on the Pursuit of Prosperity, and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us.